Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. So Vic, do you think you might have ADHD? Well, listeners keep emailing me telling me that they think I do, so probably. Mind you, listeners also email us saying we talk too much about your mum's feet. So what do they know? Yeah, fair enough. I honestly had no idea about the connection between overdrinking and ADHD until we started this podcast. About 40% of people that have had any sort of drinking issues also apparently have ADHD. Whenever we chat to ex-drinkers, this comes up more than you'd believe. If you have ADHD or suspect you might, or just want to learn about this link, then we would encourage you to check out the I Have ADHD podcast. It's the place where adults with ADHD find research-based information, validation and tons of support. This is the best way to feel less alone and hear some of the answers to the questions you've been sitting with for too long. You'll hear detailed descriptions of what it means to have ADHD and enjoy interviews with the foremost experts in the industry so that you don't have to read those ADHD books that are collecting dust on your shelf. Yeah. Listen to the I Have ADHD podcast and learn how ADHD affects every aspect of your life. From the boardroom to the bedroom. In the podcast, you'll also hear about their ADHD coaching program, which is called Focused. Focused is made up of three pillars, courses, coaching and community. It is designed to help you build your own self-improvement program and is perfect for the ADHD brain. And you can get $50 off the course just by using the code SOBER, S-O-B-E-R. So if you're tired of feeling stuck and don't know where to start, listen to the I Have ADHD podcast. This podcast is proudly sponsored by Buds and Beads Sparkling and Loose Leaf Teas. The kettle's boiled, Vic. Great. Perfect timing. Just a dash of milk for me, please, mate. Here you go. Shall we get started, then? Have you ever woken up on a Sunday morning and said, I'm never drinking again, and then found yourself waving 50 bucks at a barman by happy hour? Are you wondering why everyone else can stop at one while you head to a dodgy after-party with a weird bloke called Disco Dave? If so, it might be time to take a deeper look at your relationship with your reliable social crutch, alcohol. On each episode, we'll investigate our own dysfunctional dealings with booze and find out if it's possible to stop this deeply ingrained habit before things get too messy. Yep. We're going to open up a shame shed of humiliating drinking stories to help you understand why waking up from a booze coma each weekend with a kebab sticking out of your top pocket might actually be negatively impacting your health. Hamish and I are here to delve into what it's like being sober, an unwanted warts and all look into why giving up those cheeky pints or putting down those mummy wines will make you feel happier, help your anxiety and mental health and turn you into the most sparkly authentic version of you. Won't that mean I become boring, though, Vic? Well, Hamish, we'll just have to wait and see. I'm Victoria Vanstone. I'm Hamish Adams-Cairns. And this is Sober Awkward. We had a doctor in France, Hamish, that always recommended more red wine as a treatment for everything. Really? I never stood a chance, did I? <laughs> Imagine going to your doctor. Imagine if I told him that I was struggling with an alcohol issue. He'd just been like, oh, ha, ha, have another glass That's of wine, it. mon chéri. Drown it out. Yeah. 
<laughs> I had a doctor once have a look at my arms, and I'm like a veiny arm guy. Yeah. And I said, great arms for doing drugs. <laughs> Yeah. I think um, I was giving blood. I think I was giving blood and said, yeah, great arms doing drugs. Great arms for drugs. Yeah. What sort of comment is that? <laughs> it's good, isn't it? <laughs> Just get a t-shirt with that on. <laughs> great arms for drugs. <laughs> Yay. It is very annoying, Hamish, when you go somewhere for help and you get rubbish advice. Today I hope we have the cure. The not-so-magic ingredient that will help you get on track when looking for help when reconsidering alcohol. I love this, Hamish. Today we're going to look at all the different types of support that are out there if you are an alcoholic, someone questioning your alcohol intake or someone that is struggling to stay sober. We want you to know the options so if life gets too hard, you know where to turn. I was going to say we're going to throw lots of options at you. I was actually going to say we're going to throw shit at the wall, but... Yep. This is not what shit is. We're going to throw all of the options at you to help you get sober. And maybe one or two of them you can keep a hold of and they will help you. That is the way to approach this. Yes. Because if you just invest all your time and energy in one and it doesn't work, then you feel a bit let down and feel like, well, I'm, I'm broken and I can't yep. be fixed. We're going to throw the shit or, or at the wall and you have a trowel and you decide which piece of shit you take with you. Okay. That's, that's another way <laughs> of putting it. What an in- yeah. intellectual podcast yeah. this will be. Yeah. <laughs> And when we say shit, we're talking about therapy. AA is not really shit. It's good. It's the good shit. It is the good shit. You take the good shit with this you. This is the best shit. Vic and I often talk about therapy and getting the support you deserve, but we've never actually pinpointed what is available. Partly because what works for one person might not work for the next, but also we decided if we gave you lots of options and you can give them all a try until it sticks. I think it's important today to cover the full spectrum of alcohol use disorder. We sometimes hang around the middle a bit too much, the grey area drinkers, the bingers and the party animals. So today we want to cover what someone at the pointy end should do to get help, a daily drinker that has a physical addiction, as well as someone that might be mentally or socially addicted to alcohol. Taking steps into recovery is confronting no matter how much you drink and everyone is deserving of help. So today, you decide where you fit in and what help will suit you. So get your notepads at the ready and let's find out what's out there for anyone wanting to give up booze. As you know, I never had a physical or mental addiction to alcohol. Vic asked me to go sober for the podcast and I did it. It's not always been easy being sober, but I know I'm one of the lucky ones. My drinking never got out of control. I definitely did some weird shit, some naked adventures, but I wouldn't say I ever thought I needed help. True. But there is a chance I could have gone on to have a problem if I'd not stopped when I did. Anything is possible. That is so true, Hamish. For you, Vic, you did eventually seek out help. So what shape did that take? Yeah, so I didn't realise for a very, very long time that my problem was worthy of help. It's something we talk about a lot. I didn't realise my problem was bad enough. But of course, whenever we talk, Hamish, I say some shocking things, don't I? Your stories are world class. Even in the last episode, I was talking about veins in my eyes exploding from Mm. puking too much. Surely that would be a sign to me that I could possibly be deserving of a professional input. But we all have extreme ideas of what a bad relationship with alcohol looks like. Yes. We all think I'm not that bad or we all think we know someone worse or we've seen someone worse on TV. So we go, well, you know, until I'm them... I don't need help. Have you ever filled in one of the forms online that says, am I an alcoholic? No. We'll have to do it for you, actually. That is actually a really good experiment to see okay. whether someone like you would come up as a yes as well. Mm-hmm. Because the questions are not as extreme as you think they're going to be. Yeah. And actually, most people I know would probably come up as a yes. 
for me, it had to get very bad. The signs had to be very, very strong before I reached out. And that is a shame because I had to have a lot of mental health issues and I didn't feel worthy and it's a shit place to be. And I got stuck there for about four years. But it is very common. So I hope this people nudges people like me to take the help now and reach out. I had been to AA once with my sister many, many years ago. I sat in the back with my arms crossed, just going, I am not these people. Really? When in fact I was, but I wasn't ready. I was probably 23 and in my real drinking heyday. Oh, wow. So this yeah. is like almost 20 years ago. Yeah, a long time ago. Like, wow. Yeah, when my sister first got AA, we went to a place in, I think it was in Bangalore, just outside Byron. And what I was expecting was not the case at all. So we're going to talk a little bit about AA yeah. later on. And also in my 20s, I have had an experience of reaching out for help before when I had anxiety due to a drug overdose in my early 20s. And I had cognitive behavioural therapy, antidepressants and went to see a local doctor. I was also sent to a psych ward for an assessment. Wow. <laughs> yeah, when I was really poorly then. Um, and I was asked by him if I pissed the bed as a child. They thought that was the root of all of the drinking. Yeah, I thought, well, I probably... I probably did piss the bed as a child. Don't yeah. all children piss the bed? Interesting. So that's the, angle. that is we're going to talk about that as well. The importance of getting a good doctor mm. because that guy made an assessment of me on that, which was something would would have happened when I was four or five. It occasionally happens now yeah. as well. <laughs> so that really put me off getting professional help. When I hear your story, I and I think a lot of people will be able to relate to this if they still drink. Is it's a lot easier on your mental health and probably your bank to nip it in the bud before it becomes a problem. Yes. You could, before it got really bad, have done the work and just saved yourself a lot of turmoil. And I think a lot of people delay and delaying. It's not bad. It's not that bad. It's not that bad. I'm I'm just like everyone else and my friends are the same. And they could nip it in the bud before it gets awful. I should have nipped it in the bud then in my early 20s. I did give up drinking for a year then. When I was when I had that drug really? overdose, yep, yeah. I was too scared of anything going into my body, and I could have avoided a lot of bad times, bad behaviour, risky behaviour. Oh, I didn't know that about you. When yes. did you, what, what made you restart? I uh, that was my goal when I was mentally unwell in my early twenties. My goal, my get better goal, was to start drinking again because that reflected me becoming myself again because that was the only person I knew. So for a year I didn't drink, and my goal was to sit in a pub and have a pint. How ridiculous is that? That is bad yeah. advice. Yeah, that was my mental state was like, I know that I'll be back and my friends will love me again and I'll get back from this and I'll show them I can do it. And three weeks into starting antidepressants, I felt better and I was sat in a pub with mm. a pint of beer. Wow. And I was like, yes, look at me, everybody, I'm back. And everyone was like, yeah, cheers, she's back, yeah. Mm. And that just led to, led to a disaster zone, really. I never knew that. Yeah, so I did have a year off that year. That always surprises me, Hamish, when we get emails from 20-year-olds saying that they're giving up at that stage because mm. that is not an easy age to be able to self-reflect and go, right, I've had enough of this. So no matter what your age you are, having somebody else there to guide you and to reach out for help to you, no matter where you are on this journey, is always going to be our advice. Absolutely. Have you ever sought support for any mental health issues before, Hamish? I never have. I've obviously had ups and downs like anyone. I've had long periods of sadness, but it's never got to the stage where I've thought, I am depressed. Has the sadness started since you started the Sober Awkward podcast? Yeah, just since the day I've been sober. 
Okay. <laughs> oh, no, that's not the message. <laughs> no, no, it's all, you know, by different things that trigger it, whether you know, it's grief or breakup or whatever. Mm. Um, but it never got to the point where I thought, God, I'm, I'm you know, this is actually a, a mental health problem. I was aware that it was caused by something rather than just I wake up miserable every day. Um, but I think where I've been lucky is that my interests and passions and hobbies have always inadvertently been good for my mental health. Great. So I've always exercised and I've always been careful-ish about what I eat. Every job I've ever had has been poorly paid because I wanted to be an actor and a comedian and a radio and TV presenter. So I've sort of been following passions in Nevisbury. You have to make your way from the bottom and it's not a an no. obvious ladder like all of my friends that have got normal jobs yeah um and i think really one of the things that triggered it is my first job was at that cigar shop davidoff which i hated and i can remember every morning being in the shower and dreading like forward planning the day oh, and just feeling God, so yeah. sad like, yeah. i've got to get to work and i've got x amount of hours standing there and i know what it's going to feel like I'm, I'm it's monday now friday it's ages away and i think that was the closest i've ever been to feeling depressed I was like I can't I know I have to do this for six seven months so then I can go traveling mm. and I think something in me when I was 19 when that was happening clicked or broke or triggered or whatever you want to label it and I think it made me go I can never do a job that I don't like yeah like I'm too frightened to do a job that I don't like mm. so I've jumped around career-wise and I've not not stuck at one thing and, and gone up the ladder um, and I think weirdly that has been great for my mental health yeah if not for my bank balance i think a lot of people in this world have to do jobs that they hate yeah. every day no wonder people are depressed you know that would be very very hard trudging into the office or wherever you work to try and avoid getting depressed when you're yeah. re- having a really repetitive day i'm sure that is the source of a lot of depression and a lot of alcohol use it's I, hating your job or finding your job yeah. too stressful than you can manage because you spend a lot of time there. Yeah. You spend all of your time there. And if you hate it, you're going to get home and feel like, God, I need some sort of relief mm-hmm. from this. I read, That is one of the main, I agree with you, Hamish, the main pe- reason a lot of people drink. So I think the best way to get into this episode is to start by trying to answer the email that we both get at least once a week. It's one of those that Vic and I pause over because it's so hard to reply to. Tell them what it is, Vic. Well, it comes in many forms, sometimes an essay, sometimes a desperate plea, but it's always the same sentiment. Please help. I drink too much. I can't stop. What should I do? Now, this is a very difficult question to answer for us because we don't want to give someone the wrong advice or bad advice. We are two dumb people that don't know their asses from their elbows. So all we can do is tell you how we did it. Which unfortunately might or might not work for you, of course. Let's start with the first step. If you are questioning your alcohol intake, is there something everyone can do no matter where you sit on the alcohol spectrum? Yes, that is to tell someone. Find the right moments. Tell someone that you're concerned about your alcohol intake. It could be your parents, your partner, a friend, a work colleague, just someone that you trust. Not a drinking buddy. Find someone in the right moment and get it off your chest. This means you have the support for the next step of the journey. So Vic, who did you tell? I told my husband that was it. I didn't tell anybody else. I thought this is just about me and him and our kids. And I kept it a secret from everyone else, as you well know. And I felt embarrassed. Okay. 
So that's the that's where we're at, aren't we? I felt embarrassed because I had to admit that I had a problem with alcohol. And at the time, that was so overwhelming to admit that to myself that I felt like he was the only person I could confide in. And you obviously had a close enough relationship with him that you trusted that he would take it the right way, right? You guys are a close-knit couple. He was the person that saw me crippled by hangovers with my finger on my pulse dying of anxiety. He saw that. I think when I came into the lounge and said that to him, I need help. Mm. I can't do this on my own. I am failing at moderation. I need help. I think he just probably felt pure relief to know that somebody that knew what they were doing was going to step in and help me. Mm -hmm. And I just remember him saying that afterwards. He was just thankful that I was going to do the right thing at that time, which I hadn't done for many, many years. And I think that's important to say, you know, in your position, your husband was the best person to tell. Yep. A lot of people who reach out to us say, I want to tell my husband or my wife, but they are my drinking buddy. Like we've been doing it for 20, 30, 40 years. Yep. They won't understand it. They'll think it'll change our relationship. So often, you know, your partner might be the best or the worst person for you to tell, sadly. Yep. You've got to really pinpoint who that person might be. You could be a, it could be a somebody you know that's already sober. It could be a random mate. That's mm-hmm. just it's just got to be someone you trust. Then what, Hamish? Though that's the question. Okay, so you've told someone. Next thing to do is to go see your local doctor. This is a great first port of call. Let's have a quick chat here, Ham, about the importance of finding a good doctor. Not like that one that I spoke to earlier or the one with you about the good veins. And some reasons why people don't want to tell their doctors when they are struggling. So did you see your doctor first? Okay, so this is where I'm bad. So okay, go I'm going to be a bad example here. Okay, tell me. I didn't. Yep. I didn't ever tell my doctor that I was struggling with alcohol. And the reasons are why everybody doesn't. It was my family doctor. Okay. So... I just went in with coughs and colds and all those kind of little things and had a really nice relationship with him and I was too embarrassed. Mm -hmm. Shame and judgment, of course. I know that my doctor drinks. I've seen him at the pub. Yeah, most doctors probably do. Yeah. Most people do. Yeah. It didn't feel severe enough, so therefore I thought I'd be laughed out of the surgery and, you know, go and have a glass of wine and don't worry about it. I was scared of being pushed back and I knew it was bad by that point and I think if someone had said oh, no, you're all right, you're just a binge drinker, don't worry about it, I probably would have carried it on. And I couldn't risk someone giving me an option to carry on drinking almost. Because you weren't, in inverted commas, an alcoholic. Exactly. I'm just the same as everyone else. Yeah, I just just needed an arm nudge. I just needed a dig in the ribs and go, don't worry, you're fine, let's carry on. And I would have carried on. I needed someone to tell me, no, this is bad. I also didn't want to make a fuss. Mm -hmm. I didn't want to be that person, oh, look at me, like all dramatic. I didn't have that relationship with my doctor. I just wanted to have a nice, friendly conversation about something. I didn't want to bring drama into his office. I can understand that. I think that it's it'd be difficult to pick up the phone to a doctor and they go, great, you know, you want to come in, you're, you're, you're sick, what's your sickness? Yeah. And you go, well, you know, if it's a day when you're sober, and you go, well, I just drink too much. Yeah. It's not like a, a sickness in the traditional way, yes. you know? I can see why that would be, you'd feel guilty going in on a day when you're sober and feeling fine and taking yep. the space of someone who's really, really ill. Exactly. I, I feel like I couldn't have said very clearly what was going on with me. Yeah. And I needed a therapist to help me make the situation clearer. Because mm-hmm. I would have been like, oh, yeah, I think I drink too much, but I still want to carry on. And nothing really happened to me, but I think I can probably stop. And I would have been making excuses. You wouldn't have had the language. Sat in a chair. I wouldn't have had the language to explain what was really happening inside me, mm-hmm. which was that I had a mental and physical addiction to alcohol. Way too scary for me to confront. 
Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So if, if you found a friend that is easy to tell, a doctor might be harder for the reasons that you just say. You know, it could be. A, it, sometimes it's easy to tell a stranger. Like calling a doctor and confessing something can be a lot easier. Like if you've got a, a rash in your privates, telling yeah. a friend or someone you I know is got, embarrassing. I have got a rash yeah, in my privates thank you, right thank now. You for telling us all. Yeah. But you know, something like that is embarrassing to tell someone you know, and a doctor. No, no, or someone, I'm fine with that. <laughs> yeah, but you're you're not the norm. <laughs> So I think something like that can be embarrassing to tell your friends, but okay to tell a doctor. And I guess for some people, the same will apply for alcohol abuse. For others, just telling anyone is, is embarrassing. It's just embarrassing. That's yeah. all it is. I found that it was embarrassing. But I should have done, and the advice that we're going to give is that you do. Don't do what I did, because I probably would have got help easier, cheaper, and faster. Have you actually, while we're talking about it, Hamish, mm-hmm. have you ever had, apart from those bulging veins... Sure. Thank you. <laughs> The throbbing veins, yeah, go Apart on. Apart from your throbbing veins, Hamish, have you ever had bad advice from a doctor? I think generally I trust doctors. Liz's cousin, who we met through, doctor and a nurse, the couple. Okay. So we send them a lot of texts of photos of rashes on Sunny and go, is this like doctors a panic must about? hate that. Those. They must. Yeah. I feel guilty every time I do it, but it's, it's easier than going to the actual doctor. Um, so generally I trust and like doctors. I've had a couple of unusual experiences. Mm. Have I told you about the, the, the water and the ear test? Yes, I remember I you telling yeah. about that okay. one. Yeah. So if you haven't listened to that episode, I used to get terrible migraines as a child. I missed a lot of school. I'd wake up very sick. And they took me into into to get some brain tests done, basically. So mm. they filled up one of my ears with hot water <laughs> yeah. until I threw up. So I don't know if that is a thing, but if you pour water into one ear at this bath bath temperature... You eventually, I was going green and then I was going white. Then I threw up and they sort of assessed me. Yeah. Um, and I threw up all the way home. And then they wanted me to come out the next week and do it with cold water. And I think even at that point, my mum's like, no, this, no. we're not learning much here. We're no. just watching a child. It sounds up. like medieval torture Doesn't of it? some sort. What a weird thing. Such anyway, a weird thing. So I sort of lost a bit of love for them then. It's so important to have a good relationship with your doctor. We're realising now, mm. sitting here talking to you about this. Because if you don't, it might mean that you miss out on getting help for things. We're actually on the lookout for one at the moment because our doctor left the surgery that she was at. Yeah. And, you know, there, she had loads of clients and now we're finding all doctors in our area are full up of clients. Right, right. So we're actually sort of speed dating doctors, if you know anyone. Oh, yeah, speed dating doctors. Yeah. I'll organise an event. If you could, yeah. <laughs> one of the weirdest experiences I had with a doctor was waking up after having a, an operation mm-hmm. and there being a card in my bed saying... Do you want me to show you around Sydney? Little date. A date. So I hadn't met the doctor. Because <gasps> you were had, out cold. I was out cold. He had, <sighs> yeah, he had injected morphine into my bottom. <sighs> I had never seen him. Love Sam. I remember his name with a telephone yeah. number. Isn't that weird? And he's seen your bum. I only seen and my thought, bum. Never like, spoken to him. I like what I see here. I must have a lovely bum. You didn't call back. No. No. I think I would have done just to see, like, just to see the kind of person that think that's a good move. Very weird. That is weird. I wonder if this, if it's ever worked for him. <sighs> I don't that think is so. Creepy. He's probably got little cards that he hands out every yeah. time anyone's under anaesthesia. That is really creepy. Yeah, I should have reported He's it. Probably really, breaking the law. Yeah. Yeah. Weird. Um, and the other one was the nurse saying, "Grab two bottles of wine on your way home when Freddie was ill." So you do get some bad advice from doctors. Time. Yeah, go and have a glass of wine. I was like, no, I'm bloody sober. I think we had that when we were in hostel when Sonny was born. Yeah. And, you know, it's been a long day. They said, oh, you know, grab a bottle on the way home. Yeah. 
So what we're but saying is... that's not doctor's fault. That, that is just no. so normalised. It's just normalised, yeah. yeah. It's just, they're trying to be nice, of course. But that's the problem with having bad advice from doctors is that when you are in a situation when you need help, you don't know where to turn. Mm-hmm. So what should a good doctor do, Hamish, in okay. this situation? If you go there, sit down and say, look, alcohol isn't working for me anymore. What can I do? Okay. What should he do? They should listen to your concerns, first yes. and foremost. They should obviously provide advice and resources on alcohol and other drugs. Do you know when you first wrote that, you wrote, provide alcohol and other drugs advice? <laughs> I was like, yeah. okay. That's a gla- not the- let's have a glass of wine and we'll discuss this. We'll have a line, we'll have a glass, <laughs> yeah. and then we'll talk about some options. <laughs> Uh, Uh, discuss and refer you to support and treatment options and then create a plan and goals to address your health needs that is clearly good doctoring so if you don't like your doctor and you and you have a fear of being judged we recommend you find a new doctor that you like depending on your circumstances there are many services to which you can be referred for treatment for addiction treatments can include services like long-term residential rehab drug testing, detoxification, as well as non-drug physical and psychological help. This differs from country to country, but in Australia, you will be offered a mental health treatment plan, which is subsidised counselling. A mental health treatment plan lets you claim up to 10 individual and 10 group sessions with mental health professionals each calendar year. To start with, your doctor or psychiatrist will refer you for up to six sessions at a time. If you need more, they can refer you for further sessions. Take advantage of this, and I'm sure there's similar sort of situations in other countries. It doesn't matter how much you drink, remember that. If you are questioning, you deserve to get help. Some treatments for addiction don't require a doctor's referral. You can access counsellors anytime via telephone or online helplines. Now, this is something that I wouldn't have considered, but let's get into that. Mm. There are lots of online self-assessment forms as well, like that Am I an Alcoholic one, and self-referral avenues you can use. So you're telling us to Google it, Vic? I am telling you to Google it I here. I question the, the, the wisdom behind this. I know. It's a starting block, though. Okay. Any of it is a starting block because you're starting to show an interest in giving up alcohol. Yeah. And it basically means you're educating yourself about it, which I will always recommend. Of One of the first ones here. What is it, Haim? Tell us. So Direct Line. That is a 24-7 confidential alcohol and drug counselling and referral service. It's actually important to say, if you do have a problem with alcohol... It's a good thing to have a problem with with regards to the help that's available. I don't yeah. think there's any other drug that there is more free and widespread and varied help for than it's, alcohol. Yeah, it's because it's the worst one that yeah. we learned about in an article this week. Did mm-hmm. you see that that I shared on Cuppa, which was listing the 20 most dangerous drugs in the world? Alcohol was number one. Yeah. So there's help with it because there's such a massive problem mm-hmm. with it. Um, The second one is Turning Point Online Self-Assessment Tool. It will help you figure out if your drinking levels or drug use is a problem for you. We're going to put all these in the show notes so you can just click on them if you want to use them. Counselling Online. That provides online access to counselling services. There's another one called Just Ask Us, which is a service for university students with drug and alcohol problems. There's another one called Say When, which is an online quiz to work out if alcohol is causing problems in your life. Have you ever phoned a helpline? <laughs> I don't think I've ever phoned a helpline, except yeah. for like for your bank. Oh, yes. Yeah, I've yeah. done those ones. That's not the same. Yeah, Although like... that causes probably as much embarrassment and yeah, shame yeah. As, as telling a doctor you're I an alcoholic. Don't think, I don't think even as a kid, I, you know, like when you, when you get really into prank calls, yeah. I think even then I had the wisdom to swerve actual helplines. Yes. You so get no. big trouble for that calling helplines. Yeah, big time. Yeah. But I think, 
I've, I've always had respect for those that do and respect for those who work on the other end of the line. Yeah. And my best mate works for one of those ones which, which people call if they're feeling suicidal and he will talk them out of it. Amazing. It's amazing, like an amazing resource to have. Is he trained? Do you have to have any sort of training? Or yeah, you, you do. You do, yeah, yeah, yeah amazing. Yeah, training. And Gosh. He's volunteered and get paid for it. So I imagine maybe some of these helplines would be the same. So yeah, just good people doing good things. The only time I've ever phoned a hotline was when I was in that cult, remember? Yeah. I went in that weird cult weekend and I was reading the paper the week afterwards after I'd been brainwashed. In the back of the paper, it just said cult hotline. Mm -hmm. And I thought, I'm going to give it a call. I was really questioning this group therapy thing I'd been to. And the lady said, we know a lot of families that have lost children to that cult. (laughs) And I was like, right, I'm never going again. Okay, so this is a hotline to talk you out of cults. Yes, Wow. Yeah. And I thought, God, I think I might be in a cult. I think I need to call it. And I just thought she was going to say, don't worry. It's a therapy cult. You're fine. It will help you. But that's not what she said at all. And I didn't go again. So actually, the only experience I've had of a helpline is positive. Yeah. Yeah. So do use it. Why do you think people fear calling helplines? Okay. So the first thing that I could think of was that it seems like such an unlikely solution. You think, I had a drinking problem for 40 years and then I made a phone call to a stranger and now I've been sober for five. It seems like such a long shot. Yeah. And maybe that is the way that you need to look at it. Like it, it. It is a long shot. It probably won't be the thing that cures you, but it could be the first step. Definitely. Just getting the information and having a chat with somebody that knows. There's no, nothing more helpful. I put there, it seems a bit 80s. Yeah. Do you remember the videos or the adverts on TV of kids going to phone boxes to call child on line? The wind up. Yes, on the yeah, wind yeah, up yeah. phone. Yeah, it seems a bit old school. Also, I think one of the things we don't call helplines for is because we think it's not an emergency. We don't want to block the line, like I said, with, with a doctor's place, not taking someone else's seat. You know, we, we feel like someone else probably needs it more, so I won't call. Don't want the number in my phone in case anyone sees it. Do yeah. they call back? I'm not sure. I'm not sure how it works yeah. now. Yeah. Don't save it. Or save it as something else. Yeah. But that's, advice. again, we're, we're, we're treating it like it's shameful to admit we have a problem. Yeah. When, of course, admitting you have a problem is the bravest thing you could ever mm. do. So be proud of asking for help. I changed my name in my mum's phone. as God. Oh. <laughs> God was calling. God was texting. I think she enjoyed. I've got some very odd names in my phone, actually. Have you? Yeah. My sister is Pretty Face. <laughs> I've got a friend called Doug, and my friend is called Drugless. Doesn't even do a lot of drugs. I don't know why he's Drugless. I've got a very sporty friend, and I've, I've she's added a sporty C word in my oh, phone. Oh, really? Yeah, and when that, that when she phones, and I'm in the car with the kids, and it comes up as that. So whether it's someone on the phone, a doctor, or a health professional, being honest with someone about your alcohol intake is the first step. This will help you face your problem, and you will be able to start setting some goals. So hang on, Vic. I don't know much about this, but what happens if the doctor thinks you're really unwell, as in you're dying from booze? Do they take you straight to a hospital? What's the next step? Well, you might be taken to hospital, could be sent to a detox centre, or you could be referred to a, a doctor, which will give you medication to do a home detox or enter a rehabilitation facility. It all has to be organised by the doctor so they can assess you and work out at what stage of the disease you are at. Some people, of course, can't just quit. It is so dangerous. A sudden decrease in consumption will cause seizures and possibly death. This is why the first step of seeing a doctor is so important for everybody, big problem or small one. All right, I get it. So go and get that initial assessment. That will determine exactly what help is suitable for you. And there are lots of options. There is help out there that is more tailored for your personal needs. 
Let's take a look. Okay, we're going to start with AA. That's the obvious one, it's isn't it, Hamish? One. Yep. What do you imagine AA meeting to be like, Hamish? Okay, so in, in my head, AA is exactly like what I've seen in the movies. So I'm thinking people sitting in a circle, dimly lit, quite depressing room, snacks at the back of the room. I think a huge variety of people is what I've got in my brain. So mm. some high-flying businessmen, some people who are very much struggling, um, I think I'm seeing a bit like you, you're at the back of the room, you're not telling any stories. Someone who's a bit more confident, who's been there for a while, is sharing unbelievably heartbreaking stories. I reckon it's a lot of lost people looking for inspiration and looking for connection. Okay. And I don't know if that is what it is like no, I at think, all. No, I think you're probably quite spot on there. I didn't go because I thought it was going to be a different level of alcoholism to me. Okay. And my picture of it was like homeless people and people stumbling around. Yeah. And when I went with to that meeting with my sister so many years ago, it was more like a parents teacher meeting. Okay. It was such a vast range of, of people that looked totally normal. Mm -hmm. That was the shock was that everybody okay. looked just like me. Yeah. That was very confronting. It wasn't severe. It wasn't how I imagined. And I realised that everybody there was welcome. There was no judgment at all. And the thing is about AA, a lot of people are put off because of that word alcoholic, because of the word anonymous, mm. but it helps a lot of people. And I think it's something that everybody could try yeah. if you're struggling with alcohol because all it is is a room full of people that have been through exactly what you've been through mm -hmm. and it isn't always extreme i was surprised by the stories there were people like me party people that just couldn't slow down and were experiencing anxiety it wasn't anything extreme well i've got nothing but love and respect for aa i've yeah. never been and you went and it didn't work for you but god if our podcast can help anywhere near amount of people that AA has, then we'll be very happy. So, yeah, huge kudos to, to everything that they do. Yeah, people stand by it. And my sister is 25 years sober from AA. It is peer support that works. Mm -hmm. So definitely give that a go. It's inspiring stuff. Next up, you might want to try a sobriety course. This is a great kickstart, usually run by someone who's been sober for a few years or a coach or a therapist. That sort of keeps you accountable. There's also Facebook groups that run alongside them. There might be 30 day challenges. Good to have like a start date to be doing it as a group. Tools, education. These are not for people with severe alcohol addiction. They might be better suited to people who are more sort of grey area drinkers or those that are giving sobriety a go and need something to coincide with therapy. But they're a great starting block. Your first step after you told your husband, Vic, was to go and get some therapy. So what did that look like? Well, it was a lady on the end of the phone who said, I thought that she would say, go away. You've got to be more severe mm -hmm. to come here. You've got, we treat people with real alcohol problems. And when I explained to her, I remember saying on the phone when I called the number, I'm just a mum who drinks a little bit too much. It's causing a bit of anxiety, really trying to lighten mm -hmm. the seriousness of the issue because I just wasn't ready to talk about it in that way. And her just going, this is perfect for you. See you Monday. So actually the start was that I was really shocked that I qualified yeah. to have help for alcohol addiction. And I think what I'm impressed with the way that you approached it, I think if I was like, I need to find a therapist, a bit like people looking for a good doctor, I think I would have researched, I think I would have spoken to people, I think I would have spent ages Googling it, which would have just delayed, and mm. maybe even inadvertently looking to delay it until I find the right one. You literally just called the first one that you found. I did, Was yeah. it Google or was it a phone book? No, it was Google yeah. and it was called Breaking Free and it was about breaking free from bad habits. Yeah. 
and I was like, that's exactly, it was just down the road. And I was like, I'm calling this woman right now. If I don't get help right now, this is going to go on and on and on. And this is going to affect my health and my family. And I just knew I had to book something in. Yeah. Yeah. It was 12 weeks of inner child work, actually, Mm -hmm. which is just looking at my past and understanding, digging things up, spreading it all out and going like, what's, why am I like this? And that is something that all people that overdrink will need to find out is the reasons why you drink. And that's what I had to do. They were surprisingly small things that made me into the person that I was and the person that was an overdrinker. So it was actually, there's nothing more fascinating than it's very self-indulgent, but there's nothing more fascinating in working out why you are the way you are. <laughs> so going to therapy is actually a really wonderful insight and Vic got lucky you know she literally called the first one and she went and that person happened to click with you happened to connect with you and got through to you and you know played a huge part in you changing your life yeah a lot of people don't get as lucky they try one they don't connect they go oh my god if therapy doesn't work on me then I must be broken and they give up so there are loads of different styles of therapy out there there's loads of different therapists obviously so I'll just rattle through a few but they're worth you know Try them all until you find the one that gets through. So there's cognitive behavioural therapy that focuses on learning to reduce problematic behaviour associated with substance abuse. There's dialectical behaviour therapy. There's motivational enhancement therapy, animal therapy, family therapy, regression therapy, inner child therapy. You know, there are countless of them. We could almost do an episode on each of them. You just need to keep going until you, you know, treat it like an experiment into a better life because you'll hopefully learn something from each of them and get closer to giving up the I will say here, you've reminded me of Lucy. Lucy um, got a bit of therapy when she gave up drinking because I said to her, this is something you need to do. And she had it and it was good, but she'd already done quite a lot of work before she gave up drinking in that respect. And it wasn't the the therapy that worked for her. For her, it was meeting me. I'm going to be, you know, egotistical here. But it was meeting someone that had been through exactly what she's been through. And that's what you could meet at AA or any other sobriety group is sometimes it just has to be inspiration from a different person and and them telling you what they have done. And that can work. So she ended up giving up drinking because she saw herself in me. And she knew that if I could do it, then she could too. That's it. I think it was the fact that you weren't a therapist that worked, actually. I've gone back and started listening from the the first episode. If anyone's joining episodes today, you haven't gone back, I encourage you to go back. Because, yeah, she literally said, I needed someone who, similar sort of background to me, looked and sounded like me, all the same references, got into yep. drinking the same way, same party stories. And, and it wasn't was boring her- now. Exactly. Yeah. She was terrified of it being dull. And she saw that I was still fun, still happy, still normal. And that's what inspired me to go, actually, this is, this is going to be all right. I can do this. This is going to be great. Yeah. So yep. if therapy doesn't work for you, do not give up. Do not give up. Then, Hamish, we've got pharmaceuticals, which might be a bit controversial for some, but sometimes intervention via a pharmaceutical product might be offered. Three medications are approved by the US Food and Drug Administration. I'm not sure what it is in Australia or England. You'd need to check, but they are to treat alcohol use disorder. One is called a camprosate. One is called dis. Oh, Hamish, come These on. These are going to be funny. Oh, let's start again. These are not what they're called. This is how they're spelt and Vic is reading them. <laughs> We're not very good at reading, are we? <laughs> Dislufarim? 
Disulfiram? Disulfiram, maybe, and maybe. naltrexone. A composite and naltrexone reduce alcohol consumption and increase abstinence rates, actually, although the effects appear to be modest. These do work for some people, but they do not solve the problem long term. You don't want to be on a drug forever. That's kind of what you want to avoid. But if it's something you need in the short term, then it could be a good idea. For those of you who are looking to invest a little bit of money into this, then you can get a private life coach or even visit a luxury rehab centre. Oh, yes, please, Hamish. Send me to one now. Yeah, they do sound quite nice, don't they? This is one-on-one private counselling, 100% focus on you and your recovery, but you might want to start saving now. We've actually looked at one that was 10,000 bucks a week. Yeah. So I mean, they just they, outside our limit. Just outside our Nine limit. Nine and a half, we'd be there. But <laughs> 10, we just can't quite do it. Yeah. It's not reachable for many, but if you can afford it, you get a mix of all these treatments that we're talking about in one place. It would be an incredible experience. Not saying that it would work 100%. No, even, no it's got to be, it's got to come from you at the end of the day. Outpatient and residential inpatient programs. So these would be great circuit breakers for anyone who's more on the pointy end of alcohol dependency, I would say, Hamish. You can get government funded ones. A treatment has a long waiting list for something like that. Anything that's free in this realm, it does seem that there is a bit of a waiting list. It's more for people that are desperate, um, but there's often not enough space. So that needs to change. It is common for Australians to actually travel to addiction recovery centres in Thailand and rehabs in Bali because of the lower cost of the programmes. Same with breast implants and tattoos. Thailand and Bali is where the Aussies tend to go for those. Yep. Little side note. Uh, lives lived. No, lives lived well. Lives lived well, Hamish. Lives lived. Okay, that is difficult. Come on, they're spelled the same. Live, 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 live well. Live, live, live. Lives lived well. They run a range of community and residential programs across Queensland, which is where we live, helping thousands of people each year deal with alcohol and drug problems and move forward in life. Yep, and there's loads in England as well. You just have to kind of look them up, guys. You need to kind of find out where the help is. One of those ones in England is We Are With You, which is a UK-wide treatment agency that helps individuals and families and communities manage the effects of drug and alcohol misuse. The other one we wanted to mention here in Australia, and it is in America and UK as well, is Smart Recovery. Can you tell us a bit about that, Hamish? Smart Recovery helps people with problematic and addictive behaviours to create the change they need by teaching self-management techniques and connecting them with people in a similar situation. Smart Reasons run for about 90 minutes and they can be done online or face-to-face and facilitated by trained facilitators. The the meetings are free, they're non-judgmental, they're goal-based, everyone leaves with a seven-day plan. So they, they actually work worldwide, Smart. And what we like about them is that they are really looking at the root of an addiction. So you might be in a meeting next to someone who is addicted to drugs, you might be someone who's in a meeting addicted to their phone or food, and really they're trying to look at addiction as a whole rather than just alcoholism. Yeah, we love them. They're amazing. There's so many options out there. And of course, the more you have to back up any of these, like you can do therapy combined with podcasts or do smart recovery and combine it with reading Quitlet. You can mix these up. I think it's really important if you want to, to do all of them. Yeah, take some ownership over it and sort of create your own self-help sobriety pack. You know, take a little pinch of everything. It doesn't have to be our podcast. It doesn't have to be Vic's book. There's loads out there. It does actually. Sort of- it has to be Vic's book. 
and it has to be this podcast. Yeah. We hate all other books and podcasts. So yeah, sort of create something which you can then share to someone who's also in the same position as you further down the line. Yeah, it's so true. It's about creating your sobriety. And I think, Hamish, it's a really good idea to put as much work into sobriety as you put into drinking. Yep. Now imagine how much of your brain space, mine in particular, Hamish, mm-hmm. throughout my 25 years of being a binge drinker, I would say half of my life, however many hours that is, was based around thinking about drinking, planning drinking, drinking and being hungover from it. So that is a lot of time to put into your recovery. And if you do that, it's going to go well. Absolutely. You've got to put the effort in. So the other things you can do to back up your sobriety is join an online community like our Cuppa, which is our Sober Awkward community. Read books and listen to podcasts. Self-help, that's all it is. You can design your own sobriety, doing the work yourself, educating yourself online, reading lots and listening. But we really recommend you do this alongside other help, otherwise it won't be sustainable. Just winging it and hoping for the best won't be enough for you to sustain your sobriety. So make it easier for yourself by doing therapy too. That's right. Don't wing it. Lots of people try to stop on their own and just decide to quit and go for it. But we find that a lot of those people sadly end up relapsing. So no matter where you sit on the spectrum, getting help, being honest and reaching out to someone outside of yourself will be the best chance you have at getting and staying sober. I know on the podcast we laugh a lot. We try and take some of the stigma and shame out of addiction by having a giggle about our pasts and our sober life. But the truth is we take this issue very seriously and we want to make sure you do too. We don't want sobriety to be a whimsical choice that you make one day and then give up the next. We want you to experience the benefits of a long-term sobriety this is not about how much you drink you must remember that it's about your own personal mental relationship with alcohol and the impact it has on your life and you might actually need someone else to unravel that relationship and assess it i did and it worked for me we've got some quotes we've gone for we've gone for more serious quotes today yes because it's serious getting it This is the reason why I created Sober Awkward Hamish, this topic today, is because I didn't feel worthy of help. And it was only when that I was brave enough to reach out for it did I start my process of recovery. Mm -hmm. So that's why this is so important. You've got to stand up for yourself and you've got to go, right, this isn't working for me now. I need to change and I need help to change. I wasn't solving my own problems. Mm -hmm. I was too pickled. I was too pissed and I didn't care about myself. And I needed somebody to point those things out in me. I needed a separate entity to go, this is what's wrong with you and this is how you can fix it and that's the importance of this podcast today is that you take a stand for yourself and get somebody else involved in it yeah i think a lot of people and definitely myself a year ago would have thought okay i've got a problem with drinking what do i do well there's rehab i wouldn't have known that there's much outside of that and if rehab doesn't work then you're buggered i wouldn't know that i could go therapy or doctors or there's free courses or there's online help or there's podcasts like ours or books i would have no idea that all of these options are available I'm sure some people listening will be the same. Yeah. I think my advice is always get therapy, back it up with everything else. I think all the other stuff is fantastic, but always look into it. Find out your reasons why you drank. Find out what that trauma is, and then you will be able to find a solution for it. Okay. A few quotes. Cesar Chavez. He a friend of yours? Cesar Chavez. No, I wish he was a friend of mine, though. Cesar Chavez. Yeah. You are never strong enough that you don't need help. Excellent. Having someone help you doesn't mean you failed. It means you are not alone. I like it. 
Be strong enough to stand alone, smart enough to know when you need help and brave enough to ask for it. So true. It's all about that step, that step into asking for help. That's all it's about. You I, have written. Well, Hamish, I, I know. Well, I looked online to find a good poem about this and I couldn't find one. So I decided to write one myself. OK, so we've described you in the past. We, I like to always think about your LinkedIn profile yeah. as Vicky Vanstone, podcaster, blogger, yeah. author. Now we're adding poet. What's the other word for poet? There's another word. Uh, um, pretentious. No. <laughs> <laughs> pretentious. Blanker. Pretentious. Blanker. Wordsmith. Okay, we go wordsmith. Yes. Word, okay. word artist. Okay, go on. Paint a picture. Oh, don't. I'm going to sound no, silly saying it now. really beautiful. Okay. It's about not doing this alone. And I've called it I Did Not Know by Victoria Vanstone, the famous wordsmith. <laughs> I did not know I was worthy of help. I was way too busy disrespecting myself. I never stopped to think. I just let myself go. It wasn't my fault. I did not know. I did not know that I was suffering, in pain, or that alcohol was killing me and my brain. I never looked inwards or paused the show. It wasn't my fault. I did not know. Life was very dark there for a while. I did not laugh and I did not smile. Alone and scared, I was a shadow. But it wasn't my fault. I did not know. In the end, it got too hard to ignore. I knew I didn't want this life anymore. It was time to fight, to heal and grow. It wasn't my fault, yet I wanted to know. I decided one morning to take a stand, and all I did was reach out my hand. It guided me, led me back to my glow, and now I shine, and now I know. Well done. (laughs) That is awesome. Thanks. That is a really beautiful. Poem. Yeah, I did that yesterday afternoon whilst cooking spaghetti. Okay, that is. I'm like ten times more impressed now that that was multitasking. I was multitasking. I was cooking dinner and trying to rhyme, trying of, to find words that rhymed with no. <laughs> As you scream no at your children. Yeah. A no, times. no, no. Wow. Yeah. Seriously, well done. That's Thank a you. Beautiful way to I, it was that. quite sentimental because that is exactly how I feel about it. I didn't know that I had a problem until I got help for it. And that's why this episode is so good. Oh, I was going to say why this episode is important, but you're just going to label yeah. it good. I'm labeling if it good. If you think it's this a good episode's message. bad, you're wrong. Yeah. It's good. It's Vicky brilliant. Said so. It's the best thing I've ever heard in my whole life. <laughs> you're very welcome for listening. <laughs> Thanks, everybody. If you're questioning your relationship with booze, you're struggling to moderate, or your hangovers are causing anxiety, it might be time to reach out for some support. Yeah, just talk to a mate about how you're feeling, contact a local doctor, find an AA or sobriety group. Vic's got one. Yeah, just head to www.cupper.community. Remember, if you're questioning yourself, it might be time to seek support. Even though this journey can be awkward, it is definitely worth it. And if you've enjoyed the Sober Awkward podcast, don't forget to review it, rate it, and share it with your mates. Do they have to share it with their mates? Yeah, of course they do. I'm not doing this for nothing, Hamish. Bloody hell. How do they share it?
Hi there. I wanted to tell you about a podcast that I think every single one of you will benefit from. It's called Therapy Works and it's hosted by me, Julia Samuel. I'm a best-selling author and psychotherapist. I invite you into my therapy room where I speak to either a known or unknown guest. Topics range from the difficulties of divorce, a life-changing illness, to the struggles of motherhood. Search Therapy Works now wherever you get your podcasts and subscribe to make sure you never miss an episode. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods, for 50 to 80% less in similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. So, as you probably know, my comedy memoir, A Thousand Wasted Sundays, is officially out. All my magnificent fuck-uppery in one awkward hit. If you'd like to get your hands on a copy, it's now available from all good bookstores. We always say all good bookstores, don't we? Yeah. Are, there, are there bad bookstores? There's probably ones with moody, moody sellers. Oh, yeah, really yeah. depressed librarian folks. Yes, yes, okay. yes, good, yes. Good. So there are probably some, but we're only storing it in the good ones. It's only made it into the goodies. Yeah. You can also get it from all good online retailers. The print version and ebook are out now, and the audiobook will be available in March. I've been writing my memoir for five years. It will make you laugh, cry, and cringe, and hopefully inspire a few people to reconsider their relationship with booze. If you love the podcast, then I think you'll love the book, even if I do say so myself. Hamish has read it. What did you think? I feel like I know a little bit too much about you now, to be honest, Vic. Look, I really loved it. It was hilarious and surprisingly moving, but I feel like I've seen you naked in a literary sense. Does that make sense? (laughs) Yeah, that's worrying. Yeah. Yeah. From an emotional point of view, seriously, it wobbled my teeny weeny wooden heart, Vic. Okay. (laughs) My teeny little wooden heart. His his wooden heart is broken. Anyway, so if you do manage to get your filthy mitts on a copy, please do me a favour and head to goodreads.com and give me a review. Doing that will help me get it out there to those that need a bit of sober support. So there you have it. My story, unwanted warts and all. 
Come and get awkward with me. Not to be too demanding or anything, but seriously, go and buy it Yeah, now. go and buy it. Go and buy it right now. Yeah, don't just tell your friends. Buy it and then buy your friends one or two. Yeah, yeah, don't give them a copy. Yeah. Buy it. Yeah. And you know what? Don't be careful where you store it. If you lose it, you can always buy another yeah, five. Yeah, buy another one. Yeah. <laughs> 